Hello and welcome back to the FAAA podcast where we are at the the Adelaide Convention Centre enjoying the Congress. Welcome Corey Wassell. Thank you for having me, Frazzy. Great to be here. Thank you for coming along. Good to see you. Good to chat with you again. Now, we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, some of the presentation that you're doing this afternoon uh, from the stage. But in the meantime, uh, well, part of that presentation, of course, is going to be talking about the things that you do in your business, running a business, growing a business, the diversity you show in the business, the efficiencies you show in the business. So there's a lot of great stuff to come up in this uh, in this conversation and in your presentation. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Let's let's start off with a little bit, a quick overview for those people who don't know you and your yeah. business, uh, who you are and what, what the businesses you run. Yeah, so I'm the Chief Executive of Verse Wealth, uh, primarily a Melbourne-based advice firm, but we've kind of expanded in recent times into Brisbane and shortly into Sydney with advisors on the ground. We get a lot of clients in those areas that we do with over Zoom. Um, we've got a team of 20 these days, uh, clients are generally high-income professionals, 35 to 55, and, and pre-retirees. And um, yeah, we focus a lot on client experience and culture and getting the right people in and having fun while we do it. So hopefully we can dive into some of those things. We will. We will now. Yeah. I've been following your journey quite closely over the years. Um, you know, when you were a small team, you had a few. You've employed office managers. You've employed. You've moved from you know being on the tools, let's go with, on the tools to sort of off the tools these days. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've tra- transitioned all of my clients. Um, in the last couple of years, everyone but my dad actually. Um, he's probably too difficult a client to hand over, so I think I've got to look after him. <laughs> you're looking after him, or you're looking after your team? But I'm looking after my dad as, the advi- <laughs> as his advisor. Um, he needs as much help as anyone. He won't listen to this, thankfully. Um, but uh, yeah, trying to trying to grow our team and, and look after our team and give them a great place to work that, that they love being part of. Yeah. Now, tell me that moment when um, uh, I guess you set up the business. And then you decided that you wanted to have a business where it wasn't just you and you're the advisor. You wanted to grow the team. Tell, tell us about that sort of moment of, 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 you, of the journey. Sure. Um, it wasn't so much a moment on the journey. The journey's always kind of had that underlying narrative. So I started in advice back in 2011 at Commonwealth Financial Planning, which was kind of the tail end of a well-documented kind of rough period for that business and, and more broadly, I guess, the industry and in hindsight. And um, I was a servicing planner for a year and advisor for two and a half years in the, like the retail branch network. And for the large majority of that time, I had the intention to, to leave and start my own firm, even though I was like, I was 26 when I started at CBA, 28 when I, when I left to start Verse and did it with the intention of changing what it meant to be an advisor and what it meant to, to get advice. Because my experience at that point, which was quite small and narrow, was that advice was very product-centered. It was kind of meat and potatoes, super insurance. It was sales masquerading as professional advice in a lot of ways, not entirely, but in a lot of ways. And um, just thought it could be so much more valuable if it was so much more personalized and could be so much more impactful and be more people getting it with less skepticism around it. And um, and the way of being able to contribute to that and do that, I, I viewed as kind of starting my own thing with the intention to not kind of be a milk bar with me just running it forever, but to, to try and build over time a national firm, a national brand, um, and do advice the way we're really proud of and, and, and scale it. So, yep. And one of the things I've noticed with your journey following along from the sidelines is that intention, right? The intention to make decisions, the intention to grow this way or to grow that way or to do things. Nothing tends to be just done ad hoc. You sort of got this quite strong intention about what, what you want to achieve. Yeah, I think we definitely have. I think. I think being so intentional um, and thoughtful around a, a lot of different elements around um, culture in particular and the client experience in particular, particular, I think um, 
in the early days, those things slowed us down um, because we were kind of we were less progress over perfection and more perfection over progress, um, which wasn't necessarily the right approach. However, I do think looking back with, with some time and, and reflecting, um, being as meticulous and as intentional as we were about some of these things has helped us lay some really great foundations to the business that we're now building the business relatively quickly off and we're a benefactor of. So being really intentional about the kind of workplace we want to have, the things that we're going to stand for, what our values are, what kind of culture we want to create for people, what kind of people we want to build the culture on and with, um, what kind of client experience we want. Um, and, um, you know, we've got to a point now where a lot of those things are pretty solid and, um, you know, and they're part of, I guess, what, you know, has made us somewhat an attractive place to, to work as well. And when you, when you do have that solid foundation, you're able yep. to build upon it, which is great. Now, let's, let's talk a little bit about the people and the culture and, and, the, yep. and the growth of the team. Because as you yep. mentioned, you've got 20, a team of 20 now over, the, over quite a short period of time. Can, well, what could, could be considered a short period of time. I'm sure it feels like a lifetime yeah. <laughs> as a business owner. I'm yep. sure it feels like a lifetime. But tell us about that growth. you my grey hair, but, oh, Tell us about that growth and, uh, you know, in the business and how you've recruited and how you've brought team members on. It's, it's evolved over time. Um, we do a lot more hiring now than we did even just a few years ago because the pace of growth is accelerating, which is, which is fun but challenging at the same time. Um, what we've done over the course of, I would say, the last three years is we have slowly built our hiring process and we've built it based on the reflection of what we've done and wasn't, what hasn't worked so well. We haven't quite got perhaps the hires right. And, um, you know, we've, we've now built this hiring process, which takes about 12 hours to get through if you're an advisor. Um, it involves like online surveys, psychometric testing, testing cognitive abilities, behavioral traits, a cultural interview with, with team to make sure you're aligned to the culture. They're going to love working with you and they can veto a hire, mind you, anyone in that interview. It involves role plays, like a technical exam. So, you know, we've tried to, um, create a really thorough process but get people through it really fast so we will after a first interview um, we'll organize some psychometric testing if we're keen on the candidate and we'll book them in for an eight nine hour day with us and we'll take them through the vast majority of that process so it sounds long and it's time consuming but we do it relatively quickly but even still um, you know we meet lots of candidates but we don't hire lots of candidates last financial year I interviewed 40 financial advisors we hired four um, you know, we took a number of people through that, all of that process, um, but didn't hire them in the end because they weren't quite the, the right fit. So, yeah, well, that's really important. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Sorry to, to, to jump over you there, but um, I think we've come to to learn that the hiring choices we make are the single most important decisions that we make, and if we can keep the bar for hiring exceptionally high, um, that just sets us up for success. Because when you get the right people in, everything gets a bit easier sometimes a lot easier and when you get the wrong person in or you've got the person in the wrong seat on the bus everything gets harder and um yeah we've kind of over time become obsessive over the level of talent in the team we talk about a term called talent density which is basically the talent per square foot within the team um and um you know those things have um kind of reinforced some of the the things that we've done. Yeah. Now, uh, you do refer to them as teammates, which is which is great. It's always yep. been um, part of the philosophy of the business. Um, tell us about the diversity in that in your team and how you. it's been a conscious uh, decision and, and something that you've done across the business. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got – first things first is we've got a very female-dominant team. 
these days. I don't actually count them, to be honest. I'm trying to do, do some quick counting in my head now. I think of the, of the 20 we've got in the team, I think 13 females. Of the, five, of the six advisors we've got, five are females. We haven't actually made the intentional choice to go out and hire a lot of females. Um, we've just sought to hire the best people we possibly can. Um, and that's just the way the cards have, have fallen. I do think there is an element now of momentum where we've got some just absolutely phenomenal women in our team in different roles, um, particularly the advisor roles, and people take note of that, and that starts to feed itself, and you get more interest from from more great women in advice. So I think that's something we're really a benefactor of now. But um, you know, in the in the last eighteen months, we've hired five female advisors, no uh, one male. But there's a few males that we went close to hiring, but didn't didn't quite get them over the line, or they didn't quite get through the the whole process, so the cast have just kind of fallen a little bit. Yep, a little yep. bit that way. Fair enough. And you mentioned yeah. that you've got team around the country, mm. um, and I, and I know you work out of sort of advice hub, not advice hubs, but working hubs and, and working, co-working spaces. Co-working yeah. spaces. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about how you set the business up to be uh, for that to, have to maintain that flexibility of where people can work from. Yeah. So the the environment is highly autonomous. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of autonomy. Um, we tell every teammate that we want them to be able to integrate their work into their life, not the other way around. What's more important than where they work and how much they work is is what they achieve. And I think when you get great people in, you don't need to micromanage people. They they want and crave autonomy and freedom and trust, and they work better with it as well. And um, so. We just let them make choices around what they do with their day, with their week. Um, you know, if they want to take a couple of hours off to go and do something personally in the middle of the day, they don't have to submit, you know, three hours of leave. If they want to watch the NFL on Monday mornings till, till 10.30, do it. You know, you don't need to answer to anyone. You've got a job to do. Do your job incredibly well. Um, and, and then we're all happy. So um, we have a combination of working from home in the office, particularly Melbourne. Um, given that the team isn't huge, we want to make sure that when we're in, we're in on the same days. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the, the teammates are in. Tuesday, Thursday, they're at home. But even still, you know, they can use their own judgment. If they've got five Zoom meetings all day, they're not going to come in. You know, if they've got a doctor's appointment in the morning or they want to get to school assembly in the afternoon to see their daughter get an award, they're not going to come in. We don't want them to come in. Yep. We don't want work to be the thing that gets in the way of the really important things in their life because there are more important things than work. So, um, you know, it's a two-way street and they, they give more than they get. Yep, fantastic. And uh, you've always been a big advocate of making sure the client experience in your business has been incredible. Um, and as you, as you mentioned before, you, sometimes it was um, it was you know absolutely perfect. You had to try and make it sure it was absolutely perfect. And and um, but tell us a little bit about how that client experience has, has led you in in different directions and, and throughout the business. Yep. So when we started, we had this intention of trying to figure out. Um, what it meant to give people great advice and to really personalize financial planning. Um, because coming out of the bank, um, you know, it was very super insurance focused, very product focused. And I'd only been an advisor for a couple of years. So, like, I don't know everything now. No one does, but I knew very little back then. So, we're kind of, I guess, on a journey of curiosity um, and learning to figure out, well, how can we give as much value to people as possible? How can we have as big an impact as on possible, not just on their money, but on their life and their choices? And that was kind of a process over time of creating a framework for how we have particularly the early conversations, like in the first meeting. We called it a discovery meeting at the time, which is the traditional kind of term for that first meeting. 
um, and you know, have this framework for how we have conversations around um, different elements of, of people's finances and their life and the choices they're making. And that process has evolved. We've always iterated that. We've reflected on how is it going, what's not working, what could be better, how could these conversations be, be easier, how could they be more valuable, how could they be more repeatable, how could it be easier for the advisor. Um, and you know, over time, that's evolved and evolved and evolved. Now we've got a, a framework, which we've had for a few years now, and I think we'll have for a few years yet, um, which is based on three core tenets, which are values, intentions, financial well-being. So values are the things that are important in someone's life. Um, it might be family, adventure, community, security, health and well-being, balance. We get three values per person. We get them to tell us what, what the value means and why it's important and how well it's happening in their life. The intentions are kind of like the goals, like the priorities. We'll plan around them, strategize around them, we'll model around them, and their financial well-being is how they feel about their finances. So there's a 27-question quiz they complete. takes on average four minutes per person. They get a score out of 100. That's their financial well-being score. It's broken into six areas of their financial life, and it gives us the advisor this really nuanced insight into like where are they feeling great? Where are they feeling in control? Where are they feeling worried? Where are they uncertain? So you can have the right conversations with people and ask the right questions because, you know, you can have an advisor, you can get a plan, you can have a statement of advice, but it doesn't mean you feel the way you want to feel. It doesn't yep. mean you've got rid of all those uncertainties. It doesn't mean you're aligned with your spouse. It doesn't mean you feel confident about the future. But ultimately, they're the most valuable aspects of getting advice. So um, we've kind of, um, we've digitized that, we've made it repeatable, and we can track and measure that for, for every client. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, the old co- the conversation around knowing your clients, not just knowing what their address is and what their yeah. occupation is. Absolutely. Uh, that's amazing. And now tell us, obviously, um, I know that you do a bit of work in the with regards to um, recording advice meetings and, and um, uh, you know, simplifying that process and making sure the client experience. Tell us a little bit about what you've done in that space and the efficiencies it's provided. Sure. Um, we're about 12 months in now. So it's kind of almost probably our first anniversary. Nice, um, I love uh, it. Nice pun in there um, of uh, of doing. I guess our version of video SOAs. That vid- that label of video SOAs gets th- thrown around a lot. Yes, we do record meetings. We actually now record every single meeting, Zoom or in person. When we're delivering the advice, the statement of advice itself is a digital folder. So think like a Dropbox po- folder called you know Fraser Jack Statement of Advice. And within that folder is a, is a few different items and together they work cohesively to be a compliant statement of advice, but delivered in a way that is easy to consume, that articulates the value of advice well. Um, so in that folder, we've got the recorded meeting. Um, we've got a document that we call a summary of advice, which is basically 20% of what goes in a traditional statement of advice, the traditional one being the 80-page, full of jargon, duplication, you know, we know the one we're talking about. Yep. Um, this has got, you know, on average, it's got about 3,200 words. Yep. Down from 1,500. Um, on average, it's about 20 to 23 pages. Of those pages, about eight are just big, beautiful pictures yep. um, with a couple of quotes in there. Um, it speaks to the impact of advice, not just from a tangible point of view, from an intangible point of view. It speaks to their values, their intentions, their financial well-being, um, the impact of the advice on those things. And it's got, it's just got what you need and nothing more, really. Um, all the additional stuff required to make it compliant is delivered by the advisor in the meeting, yes. as you well know. Yes. Like you're, you're an advisor and you, you know, you tell the client, you re- reconfirm what the goals are, you tell them what the recommendations are, what the basis of the recommendation is, 
um, what the benefits are, what the disadvantages are. You don't have to rehash all those things in a in an eighty page document. If you've recorded that conversation, you've already documented it. Yeah. Um, so thanks for kind of nudging us on that, um, and um, so that's enabled us to um, realize a bunch of benefits across team um, and across clients and at a business level, I guess. Um, a few of those power planning has gone from eight and a half hours on average to two and a half hours on average. Um, the document now is so easy to consume and kind of elegant and beautiful. We send it to the clients a few days prior to the meeting with a video taking through their modeling. That means they come to that meeting really well prepared. Sometimes a 90-minute meeting can be a 30-minute meeting instead because we now get informed consent verbally in the meeting, basically you know, Fraser saying, yeah, this is great. Happy for you guys to go ahead and put these things in place because it's recorded. We've documented the informed consent. We can start implementation the same day. We're not sending off an 80-page document, waiting weeks for them to read it, taking their questions, and a month later, getting them to sign an ATP. You've lost momentum in the client experience yep. at that point. Um, and the advisors love it. You know, there's, there's a document they're proud to give clients. Um, and we've seen our NPS, so our net promoter score, for clients that on board, um, we've seen it go up quite substantially over the last 12 months. And there's a few other things we've done and improved and the quality of team and the advisors has improved. But but that significant shift within the business, yeah. um, I'm sure has moved the needle in terms of client satisfaction. Yeah, that's incredible. It's a great story. And, you know, like you said, net promoter score going up. You know, if you quantified the, you know, power planning savings and the, and the efficiencies, have you, have you put together the numbers over the last year or is it, is it something uh, that you well, could... I haven't put the, the numbers together in totality. Um, I have got the calcula- calculator out a few times and added up the time we save by not doing file notes. Yep. Because every meeting is recorded, yep. Zoom or in person, we don't need to do file notes. Each recording is, in fact, the note that you need to keep on file. Yeah. I mean, yep. we've, we've, got, we've got Otter AI, which is an artificial intelligence, which we've linked up with, um, with Zoom, which takes meeting summaries as well. We can just dump those meeting summaries into, into Salesforce, our, our CRM. But um, you know, once the advisor has done a meeting, any kind of meeting, um, instead of doing a file note, they do a digital exercise. So it's just a survey built on Typeform, which is just really simple, easy to use, elegant survey software. And it asks you a few of the questions that you would normally put into a file note, things like, were there any red flags or vulnerabilities you observed with a client? Um, were all clients present? Did you uh, charge any fees today? If so, were those fees appropriate for the advice you're providing? So um, it takes about one minute for the advisor to complete that exercise. One of the questions is um, pop the URL of the recorded meeting uh, here. So you save the, um, the video recording to, to SharePoint in our case. You grab the URL, you pop it in there, you hit submit. One of our teammates, uh, Client Experience Associates in the Philippines, will grab that. He'll save it all to Salesforce. Um, and the advisor can can keep moving without kind of carrying this baggage of oh, I've got to do that file note and I've yeah, got to do wow. this and you know and and it's the cognitive it's not just the time saving it's the cognitive load saving and the stress that you don't put on people by adding more to their plate. Yep. And tell me about what you think then. Uh, let's say you're you're not 100 percent efficient with this just yet. It's always getting better. What what do you think the average client number per advisor can and will be in your practice? So in terms of ongoing clients, um, we, based on where we're at operationally at the moment, we can comfortably have an advisor look after 100 client groups Yep. if they weren't onboarding any new clients Yep. at all. Um, we don't have an advisor yet that's there. We've got one advisor that's probably 70% the way there. Yep. Um, however, as we get more efficient 
over the coming years and deregulation will be part of that, um, which would be very welcome. Um, artificial intelligence in particular will be part of that at our end just working more on integrations of, of different elements. The tech stack will be part of that. Um, you know, finger in the air type stuff, Fraser, but I'd anticipate every fast forward three to five years, it would be above 150 yep. clients and, you know, potentially, you know, it might be, it might be 200 clients. There's only so many people you can remember too. There's, there's that natural kind of human element of it. That's right. Um, because you want to make sure everyone's got an individual experience where they feel like they're the only client you have. Um, but from an efficiency standpoint, um, I think we can. I think we can double the amount of clients um, that most advisors serve. In some cases where they're more inefficient, you know, you could triple it, you could quadruple it, which yeah. is a great thing for the industry. And maybe we don't need as many advisors as we think we need. Um, well, time will time will tell. Time will tell. We'll work that yeah. out. Uh, Corey, thanks so much for coming and sitting on the couch with us here and having a, a yarn on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Good luck with your presentation this afternoon. If people want to continue the conversation with you and reach out to you and find you, what's the best way they can find you? Yeah, just jump on LinkedIn and, yep. um, and connect with me and um, yeah, I'll see you on there. Fantastic. Great. Right. All the best. Thank you, Fraser. Appreciate it. Great to see you.